Good morning. All right, we got friends joining us online. I'd love for them to hear your lovely voice, so it's good to see you today. Thank you for joining us online or in Urbana, and it's uh, just great to be back together and to see us marching together into 2021. You know, we've had this challenge to uh, grow through COVID and not just go through COVID, and I don't know if you've... Uh, if you recognize this or not, but the challenge of growing through COVID has made COVID even more difficult. You know, going through COVID is hard enough. I mean, to have our, our time and our, our rhythm all kind of reshuffled and values and priorities kind of stripped away from us in different ways. But when we committed to say, let's grow through it, we kind of asked for a double helping of challenge in the midst of this. But what we wanted to do was to see, to see God work in our lives, work in our church and challenge us to a sense of maturity that we had never gotten to before. It's been great. Challenging, but great. A few lessons that I've been learning in this process, and maybe you've learned it as well, is that my first lesson was this, that crisis, or we could say COVID itself, but crisis either expands or exposes your character. Have you noticed that? Some of us maybe had meltdowns we didn't intend, or some of us maybe rose to the occasion in situations when things got difficult or challenging or out of our control, and we saw really what our character was made of and where our character needed to mature. I think we also learned a little bit about how our habits really matter, that when life gets shuffled, we default to certain patterns in our own life, and if our habits are not what God wants of us, we can drift down a road that is not good for us. I think the third lesson I learned, though, is this. It's just the simple fact that change happens faster in crisis. When we're comfortable, we like to keep things the same way all the time. We have a routine that we like to do things. We, like, we have a pattern of things that we want to walk through. And then when crisis comes, we, we have to adjust. And whether we want to or not, in COVID specifically, some of the adjustments have advanced different portions of our lives in different ways. And our hope has been that it has been a, a maturity, an acceleration in our faith and our walk with God. You know, as a church, we've had to even wrestle with who are we now and what is God doing in our midst? I like what Pastor Rick Warren said. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church out in California. And he was in an interview recently talking about the impact of COVID on his church. And his church is thousands of people much larger than our church. But here's what he said. COVID revealed a fundamental weakness in the church. Notice it's an uppercase C. So he's talking about church universal or global. Most churches only have one purpose. Worship, and what he's talking about specifically is the gathering, the weekend worship experience. If you take that away, you've got nothing. They're in a hurry to get back to worship because it's all that they've got. Pastor Rick is really just describing that when we couldn't have Sunday morning services, oh my goodness, who are we supposed to be as a church? Here's how he described the situation for his followers of Jesus. He just said, you know, the church is so much more than a gathering the mission of the church advanced in different ways, but also significant ways. The church refocused on discipleship. The church moved forward in the way that it was serving the community and caring for others and meeting each other's needs in different ways. And his testimony about what's happening at Saddleback, he literally said this, that every day they are averaging about 80 people coming to faith at his church. That's crazy. He said, you know what we're experiencing is revival at their church. What a great testimony. It's so encouraging for us. It should inspire us and even challenge us. 
I mean, I know some of this testimony is true about our church. Uh, we've been privileged that as soon as COVID hit, we had to recalibrate and wrestle with some things. But there's no doubt that God moved us further into the community to serve those that were hurting or to help those, whether it was see you better together or whether it was partnering with churches and helping with uh, the big give or whatever we've done, whether it's partnering with Wiley Elementary and being able to support teachers and administrators or come alongside and support uh, different non-for-profits in new ways. God has advanced us for where we could care for our people, care for our community, and continue to disciple people beyond just saying, hey, we had church on the weekend. And God's been honored by that. It's challenged us. But there's also a little bit of discouragement knowing that as soon as we couldn't gather, some of us, our faith kind of stopped. We weren't sure what to do next. And our prayer as a church has been that if we can't gather, do we know how to grow? Do we know how to continue to mature and continue to walk side by side with God? What I love about this for our leadership team is it actually helped us kind of recalibrate our mission statement as a church to help qualify who should we be collectively. And so we said that our mission is this, it's to help each other follow Jesus. Being a part of a local church is a team sport. We're not a church that's trying to just send everybody off on their own way, but collectively we want to grow, to encourage, to mature, to spur one another on in our walk with Christ. And so this idea of helping each other follow Jesus is understanding that we all have one to follow, which is Christ. But as we take next steps, we are helping spur one another beyond, uh, towards maturity and beyond where we have been in our relationship with God. But our mission is really the why behind why we do what we do and why we are who we are. But our vision is more about the what and the how that we want to accomplish as a church. And so as we begin to describe our vision, what we really begin to talk about was this. It's 5,000 next steps in the next five years. That what would it look like for us as a church to rally together to where each and every one of us were to to look to take a next step with God. What would that next step be? And not just take one step, but then the next step, and the next step, and the next step. So don't worry about this. You don't have to come up with 5,000 next steps, and you don't have to come up with 5,000 next steps, but we collectively need to come up with 5,000 next steps of maturity here in Champaign, here in Urbana, and here online, the collective group of us, as God matures us and multiplies us, we would see the compounding impact of obedience and following after Jesus. It's a big challenge for us. And so we want to look at a passage today that we think is a great metaphor, a great picture for what discipleship looks like for the group of followers that pursue Jesus. John chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and look there, to step there and look at it, because we're going to do a brief overview of that actual chapter, but we're going to camp it in a few verses towards the end of that chapter. And you're going to see some principles that come out of this passage that I think ring true for where we are today. But two things I need you to listen for, and the first one is this, I need you to listen for what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and a follower with one another? What does followership look like for us? It's a, it's a picture of proximity. What does it look like for us to follow after Jesus and to walk together? The second thing I need you to listen for is what does commitment really ask of me? The purpose of Jesus, his intention, what does it mean to be committed to Jesus? Now John chapter 6, in and of itself, is kind of a highlight chapter. 
John, the writer of this book, is writing a gospel to give kind of a historical account of who Jesus is and how he interacted with the people around us. And at the beginning of John chapter 6, it is blue skies, birds are chirping and flying through the air, everyone's happy. Jesus has been teaching for a moment, and in this moment, uh, he gets to the point where all of a sudden it's, it's like here, you know, pastor starts preaching for a little bit, and important things come to your mind like, what are we going to eat, right? John chapter 6 literally says that the disciples begin to talk among themselves, Who's, how are we going to feed these people? Because these people have been following Jesus enough now that their life, their schedule, their routine had been shifted. And so here they are, they're gathered together, and what John chapter 6 actually says is there are 5,000 men in this gathering, plus women, plus children. And so we're not talking about just we're going to be handing out food left and right from Chick-fil-A. We actually need to feed and provide something for these people. And what they get provided for them is a young, young person just brings to them his lunch. Five loaves and two fish, which most commentators will tell you is just the average meal for a meager person. It's not really enough to sustain an adult. But Jesus takes that, this gift of a child, and he does a miraculous work. Now, what we notice in that moment is everybody likes to be invited to the Jesus barbecue, right? These are grand moments. We love to see Jesus at his best. We love to see Jesus in his miracles. We love to see him pull a rabbit out of his hat, and it's so cool, and everybody loves it. Well, go down a little further. All of a sudden, you begin to see that Jesus decides he wants to get some distance from his disciples. I'm using the term disciples. I mean small d. I mean just followers in general, this 5,000 plus. So Jesus wants to get away from this large crowd, and he sends his disciples, the big D, which is the 12 disciples, he puts them in a boat and says, why don't you guys head across this sea, and I'll meet you over there in the morning. Once he presses them out to this sea, this, it's really like a, a really large lake, they get partway across, and this storm brews up. The winds begin to blow, and everything begins to shake, and they're terrified. Jesus walks out onto the water, and he calls to the winds and the wave, and they all shut down. And in peace, they get onto the other side of this body of water, and they get out. And you know what's happened? All those followers that were on the other side walked all the way around on, foot, on their feet, and when they got there, Jesus and his disciples are there. And so you know what they do? They start gathering around him. And they kind of have this fear of missing out. They love the barbecue. They love his teaching. They want to be in on what God is doing. Two miracles, two moments. Everything seems peachy keen. But Jesus then begins to leverage this moment in a portrait that parallels itself to the history of the nation of Israel. Jesus begins to talk about how the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven that God supplied to the nation of Israel as they were brought out of slavery out of Egypt is who he is. Meaning John chapter 6 and Numbers chapter 11, thousands of years well before this moment that Jesus is standing and teaching, Jesus points back and says, you know what? There was a moment in our history where we were enslaved in Egypt. And God provided for us. God did a miraculous work. God provided this bread and this water, and it was our sustenance. And when we were in the wilderness and we depended fully on the providence of God, God showed up. And I want you to know that just like that bread from heaven that sustained the nation of Israel was provided by God, God has now provided you bread from heaven, which is me. I am that bread of life. And then he says these words. 
Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. Now, everybody here goes, whoa, time out, time out, time out. That is weird. That is really weird. Why would Jesus say something like that? Now, I've shared this with you before. Now, if I said, hey, you need to eat, sleep, and drink football, you would not go to the local sporting goods store, buy a football, take it, cut it apart, and begin consuming it, right? You wouldn't do that. You would know that if I say, I want you to eat, sleep, and drink football, that I want you to think about it. I want you to watch SportsCenter. I want you to read the news. I want you to figure out the players. I want you to know the offense that's being played. You want, I want you to think about how football is so awesome. But Jesus says it. I want you to eat, sleep, and drink me. Because if you will consume my words, consume my thoughts, consume my actions, you will understand what true sustenance from God feels like in your everyday life. But guess what happens? Thousands want to be at the Jesus barbecue. Thousands like to see the miracle of what Jesus did on the water. Thousands of people here, you need to consume me and let my life transform you. And thousands of people want to leave. Isn't that weird? What is it about human nature that we love to be a part of the fun stuff, but we run when it gets challenging? Jesus then presses in and he starts talking about how everything around us is of the physical. It passes, it's temporary, it doesn't have real value, but who he is, what God is calling of us, this is eternal, this lasts forever, this is what's life-giving. And he's just trying to call them in to say, I am God. I am the one who will give my life for you. If you can understand my will, understand my way, you will experience life in its fullness. And people get uncomfortable. They start pressing away. About John chapter 6, verse 60, literally he looks at the crowd and he begins that they're disgruntled and they want to separate themselves from him. And so Jesus just starts saying, well, what do I got to do? Do I got to ascend back to the right hand of the Father? Do I need to pull another rabbit out of my hat? Do I need to do another miracle? What else do I need to do to get you to follow who I am? And then this is what he says in John chapter 6, verse 60, to the closest friends that he's been walking with. Here's what it says. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back. They left him and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked to the 12, the closest of his disciples. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We, this is interesting, he's speaking for everybody, but We have come to believe and to know, meaning we think it to be true and we want to live it to be true, that you are the Holy One of God. This is an intriguing passage for me because I think it gives a great portrait of oftentimes what church life looks like. That there's this tension between the invitation of Jesus and the intention of Jesus. That the calling to belong and the calling to become sometimes rub against each other. So how do we want to unpack this for a moment? 5,000 people plus women and children love to see the miraculous great work of God. But all of a sudden it gets down to where people are leaving and deserting. And this massive crowd, think about this. Half of the State Farm Center is full. And all of a sudden over two-thirds of it leaves the room. Somebody says, hey, 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 what what do you think about me? And it gets down to 12 people in that stadium. 
And only one person has the confidence to speak up. I think we need to look at this picture from a couple different ways. I want to first and foremost look at Jesus. I need you to know that when you look at John chapter 6, the appropriate view of Jesus is that Jesus longs for everyone to belong. Jesus is is not giving huge criteria. Jesus is not trying to exclude anybody. Jesus is not determining by how much money people have or what political party they're affiliated or what team they play for. He just says, come on, belong, be a part of this. Come, join me, be a part of this. And so Jesus is open-armed, inviting everyone to be a part of it. But Jesus' love to invite everyone is also matched with Jesus' love to intend that there's something more than just belonging. Jesus is going to invite them to belong, but he's going to intend that they would become more like them. Jesus longs for everyone to belong. But there's this principle that happens out of John chapter 6. When commitment increases... Involvement decreases. When Jesus raises the bar, people start saying, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to make that. I don't know if I want to do that. But then you look at the people. There are all sorts of people engaged and involved in this scenario. Uh, some are there for the cool tricks. Some are there for the teaching. Some are there because a friend brought them. Some are there because they put their life on hold to follow after Jesus. No matter their involvement or intention, they are somehow tracking and wrestling with whatever Jesus puts in front of them. They belong. They like what's happening. But as they hear Jesus specifically speak to them, wherever they are in the proximity of Jesus, there's this tension. As Jesus invites them, he also intends something for them. When Jesus allows them to belong, he encourages them to become, and there's this tension. As commitment increases, their involvement decreases. The invitation to follow Jesus comes with an intention to become like Jesus. And so if this is true for us, we have to wrestle with what is our intention in our relationship with God. Now let me explain it to you this way. Now I have a son that uh, was in the military. He spent over 12 years in the Navy. And so I started having the conversation with him. I said, you know, you've, you've done over a decade now. What would it look like for you to do two decades? Because if you do 20 years in the military, you can retire after 20 years. Seems like a pretty good gig. So I said, hey, you could, you could give 20 years, and then you could go into a second career, retire from it. You could have two pensions. That's score. That's awesome. He says, Dad, you can't just stay in the military. I mean, I'm ignorant. I'm naive. I don't, I don't have a real understanding. I didn't do military life in my own way. So he says, here's the ironic thing, Dad. If I'm in the military, their expectation of me is that I am always advancing. I'm learning. I'm going through training. I'm getting different understanding about the role that I'm a part of. And they have an expectation. If I'm in the military, I will I'll grow. I said, what do you mean? Well, Dad... I can't just pick a role, sit there, and just say, hey, I'm in the military, and get 20 years. If I don't advance, I don't stay. Now, I'm so thankful the church is not the military, aren't you? But imagine that. Doesn't that make sense? That the high calling of our military, that if you are going to be the one that stands to defend and honor our country, 
that you should continue to grow and mature so that you can be ultimately prepared to stand in defense for our freedom. And you should always be growing so that you are understanding who we are as a military, who we are as a country, and what our identity is about. Wouldn't it be a priority for us to do that in our faith as well? But here's what I notice. Oftentimes with Christians in their faith, they're very happy to belong, but they're reluctant to become. And so you hear things like, well, I go to church. I got baptized. You start hearing about things, but you don't start hearing about relationships. Meaning, if we're going to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ and belong and live out the intention of Jesus, there's probably going to be days and months and years of maturation to where we understand the mission and purpose of Jesus even greater today than what we did yesterday. And the phenomenon of what I see happen in the American church is the maturation point of many Christians is minuscule compared to what they would expect from their job or their marriage or their investments. And then they wonder why their faith struggles so greatly. Jesus' intention matched with his invitation is what the call of discipleship is about. And the question becomes, to what degree are we willing to belong to Jesus and become like Jesus? To what degree are we willing to become like Jesus and belong like Jesus? Here's what I know to be true for our church. When you press into our elder team, when you press into our staff, when you press into those that are growing and maturing and have a regular rhythm in their relationship with Jesus Christ in this church, you hear voices that say stuff like this. We believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. We are banking everything about our future, our direction, our understanding that it's the words of Jesus, His teaching, His character, His life-giving spirit that our life is built on. It's the pursuit of knowing Jesus and His saving grace that empowers us. And it becomes infectious. That it's not just about showing up or doing certain things, but it's about a maturing relationship with God and one another, building us into the very people of God. So here's our question. How do we intend to take 5,000 next steps as a church over the next five years? I think first and foremost, what we need to begin to do is we need to recognize the different relationships in the crowd. If you look at John chapter 6, there are about four different relationships, but let me talk you through it just uh, from a a real-life situation that I just went through. Now, last Sunday afternoon, Aaron Hayes, the pretty guy that's usually up here leading worship from guitar, right, got married, okay? He married Miss Olivia. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. Good thing. Now, I, I was at that event, and it was pretty awesome to see all the varieties of people that were there. But there are about four different relationships that I think you could probably quantify in that room. And the first one is this. I think, I think first and foremost, you have to see the overall view of the crowd. 
There are people from all sorts of backgrounds and relationships and proximity to Aaron, but the first one is the crowd. And you could be literally a plus one, meaning somebody who knew Aaron invited you to be here. Said, hey, why don't you come and would you be my date for the wedding? You could be the DJ or the caterer or the person overseeing the location, and you belong to that event. And everything about that moment, everything about that experience was focused on the bride and groom giving their vows, giving their kiss, and being married, sending themselves off on a new life together. Another relationship that you could probably recognize, though, and beyond the crowd, were the casual friends, Right? These are, these are friends that maybe they went to school for a little bit, maybe they, maybe they did a play together, maybe they sang in a choir together, but they know Aaron, they know Olivia, they have some sort of experience together, but let's be honest, they won't get a Christmas gift, right? It's not that they're bad friends, but they're just not, uh, you're just not going to spend a lot of time with them. You like to hang out with them, you want them to be a part of your life, but uh, it's not a huge investment, but they, they know Aaron and Olivia. The third relationship that's probably there is what we would call the community. The community are people who walk regularly with Aaron and Olivia in different ways, whether it's through work or home or play or whatever. Uh, Maybe they're even family. They're a cousin. They're an aunt. They're an uncle. But they know Aaron and Olivia. And so they have memories. They have insider secrets. They They have jokes that they share with one another. They know each other. And then there's the core. Now, I tend to think of the community as being, you know, everybody that was on stage and even some family. And I think that the core, when you think about a wedding event, there's really only a few people that really matter in that moment. And the core of Aaron and Olivia's wedding was the officiant who had both of them as close friends. They both ministered with both of them. And then Aaron and Olivia. And it was clear that if nobody else was in the room, that wedding was going to happen no matter what. They were in it for that moment. They were in it for these relationships. And I think that's a great paradigm for us to talk about our walk with God. There are many of us who, everybody's welcome to belong. Everyone, maybe you're even here, maybe you don't even believe in God. You're welcome to belong and be a part of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our challenge is, we just want to be up front, that we want to mature you beyond just Saying we believe in God or believing somewhat in Jesus, we want it to be an engaging relationship. So we, we want to see you become uh, at least casually involved to where you have some experiences in understanding Jesus. We'd really love for you to become a part of our community, begin to serve or get engaged or find different ways to be involved. But ultimately, we believe that for every one of us who follow after Jesus, we want to be in a core intimate relationship with Christ. Why? Because even though we say that in Scripture and in life, we see this example of when commitment increases, involvement decreases, we believe that the invitation of Jesus and the intention of Jesus is that when commitment increases, so does our involvement. I believe Jesus wants all of us to grow and mature like him. That's why when Jesus talks about disciples, he talks about things like, uh, take up your cross and follow me daily. It's an invitation and an expectation to set a pace that he set. So where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where would you define yourself? Second of all, I think we need to begin to respond in pursuing Jesus. Meaning our relationship with God, we're not just going to sit and wait for Jesus to zap us and make us do what he wants. God doesn't function that way. God invites you to belong and intends for there to be an ongoing relationship. Let me 
Let me take it back a little bit from this picture of marriage with Aaron and Olivia, and let's insert Danny and Christy. I've been married to my wife, Christy, for over 25 years. I have never met anyone who has an outstanding relationship, who showed up at the altar, gave vows, did the kiss, exchanged the rings, high-fived, and then their marriage just automatically became great. Anybody who's been married more than 10 minutes knows that it is a commitment of serving and sacrificing and celebrating for one another. It's about going above and beyond, surrendering even yourself for the success of your spouse. There's a reciprocating relationship. And I can tell you, if I'd have stood at that altar with that beautiful girl, said my vows, exchanged rings, gave her the kiss of her life, and then high-fived her and never really invested in that relationship anymore, I would be a single man. Because the intention of me standing in that moment of making that commitment was to death do us part. In other words, the moment that I stand before God and others to confess my love is the least amount I'm going to love my wife when it comes to the history of walking with her. You hearing what I'm saying? But think about this. Isn't it true that many of us as Christians, I show up at church, I got baptized, we just kind of cross our arms and wait for God to smack us and make something happen. But God is inviting us to belong and intending for us to become, and there is a response of pursuit that we too should have in our relationship with God. God is pursuing us. God is engaging us. Are we responding in obedience? There's two resources that we put together for you to be able to use in this process so that we can take these 5,000 next steps together. And the first one is this. We've already talked about that we have created for you a bookmark for you to use so that you would be able to follow along in these 5,000 next steps. And as Aaron said, I want to encourage you, if you touch it, you take it. I want you to keep your germs with you. So if you touch two, take two and Put one in your car and one in your bathroom. I don't know. But on one side, you'll see on this, you see the five values of our church. These are the five values that we say are preeminent to who we are as a congregation. We want to focus on these because they help us shape our vision, our direction, the programming, the type of next steps that we take. So these five values are what we hold on to dearly as a church. And on the other side are these five values with next steps under them. Now, what you'll notice is every next step that you could take with Jesus is not listed on here. You won't see every single next step that you could take with Jesus on here. Some of those are going to be unique to you and your own journey and where you are in your walk with God. But these are general ones that we think we can measure and count. And so we've actually got a web page that's actually starting up. And you can go to this web page, fcc-online.org forward slash next steps. And when you go there, you'll actually see some information about our values and our next steps. And you'll see how we're tracking them. And you know what? As a church... Even though you weren't in the building this week, our church took a next step. This last week, we had a young man that reached out to us who was following us in October and began to wrestle with his walk with God. I had a conversation with one of our staff members. And then Thursday at 10 a.m. came into this room. We filled up the baptistry and we baptized this young man into Christ. Our church took a next step. Yeah, you can clap on it. Just, I just need to coach you real quick, friends. We're going to have to get better at celebrating next steps, okay? 
This is a big deal. So just think about it as, you know, the finding a line, I made the final four. That's what we need to start getting our, our, our pep rally up to. But this young man got baptized on Thursday, and if I understand correctly, went to service this morning at 9.15 in Urbana. He's now engaging with us. He's taking next steps. And that's who we want to be as a church. We want to begin to take next steps. Now, some of you are going, well, I've done some of this already. I mean, I, I, I've already joined in a gathering. I, mean, I already subscribe online. I mean, how hard is that? You know, uh, outward compassion. I've served with the church in the past. And you start looking through and you're like, well, I've done most of this. What, what else do I need to do? Looks like I've got it done. If I, if I mark off all the check marks, do I just yell bingo when I'm done? No. The next step, if you, if you do mature and walk through all these things and they're a part of your relationship with God, the next step is to go find somebody and help walk them through it. Because discipleship is not just what's happening to you, it's what's happening through you. The, the great commission is to go and make disciples who make disciples. It's not go and make a disciple who is a disciple. It's make disciples who make disciples. And there is the grand challenge. Once we begin to accept our own commitment and invitation to God and involvement to be the same, we begin to help each other take next steps in following after Jesus. A collective movement of maturity is who our church is called to be. The other resource we've made for you is the app. And if you've not downloaded the app, you're welcome to do that right now. I want you to go to your Google Play Store or whatever, and you need to download the First Christian Church app because not only does it have our messages and you can take message notes, but you have uh, all sorts of resources and ministry tools that we are now loading into this app. Things like the Because Jesus stories that you've heard or mentioned, we've started to slowly upload them, and you can actually share them with friends. If you Imagine this, if you're out to lunch with some friends and they have some questions about faith, you can actually open the app, and if they want to take a next step about prayer or baptism, you can actually fill it out any day, anytime, anywhere that you have cell service, and it can be sent to the church, and we can respond to begin to help each other take next steps. The bookmark and the app are here to help point us with resources to mature together. What would it look like? if we all accepted the invitation of Jesus to belong, but also accepted the intention of Jesus to become. Our goal is to see everyone who has accepted the invitation to follow Jesus embrace the intention of becoming more like Jesus. We want to have clear goals for one another. We want to spur each other on in our faith. We want to inspire one another towards growth and maturity. We want to fully express what God has intended for us to live out. We want to hold one another accountable and live a life of love just as Jesus did. And none of this should happen by accident, but intentionality. Today, today we can begin a journey following Jesus together. Let's move to our time of response. It's funny, I, in preparing for this message, I, I really began to realize that with our staff and our team that we're really going to feel like at the end of this message, what we've just done is we've been parents and we just sat down with our kids and said, you need to, you need to eat more vegetables. I mean, everybody knows they need to eat more vegetables, right? 
but eating our vegetables doesn't really inspire us. But I can tell you, if you sat down with my doctor, and if he looked at my chart, he looked at my weight, he looked at my blood work, he would look at me and say, Danny, you look like you have a body that's been built on pub food. Wings and fries. That's your diet. And I would have to say, that's true. That's true. And my doctor would say things like, well, you need to eat more of this, and you need to eat more of that, and you need to drink more water, and you need to exercise more, and you need to walk through that. And I, I got to be honest with you, most of my life I've just been like, yeah, 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 you know? It's not inspiring. This health journey that I've been over the last few years, though, I've started to recognize what I lost in my health when I didn't embrace it earlier. Little things. For the first time in my life, I had to buy glasses. It was a result of my diet and exercise. I've had different things in my life that have happened because I didn't want to eat my vegetables. So let me flip that for a little bit. Can I just can I just share this for a moment? Our calling to be more like Jesus and become more like Jesus is an invitation that I think the early disciples they regretted they didn't eat their vegetables as quickly as what they could have. Because after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, life got very, very difficult for them. Everything got rearranged. Everything got flipped upside down. And you know what happened to the other church? The early church grew. It grew because they responded when they could. But I think they look back on some things, and I don't think Peter really wished he would have denied Jesus. I wish, I think there are disciples that maybe wish they would have spoken to their friends differently or invited more friends to be a part of that Jesus barbecue. Or I think they would have liked to have seen a greater mission of Jesus expand even greater. But even with their lack of response early, their response in the moment catalyzed ripples that we now experience. See, we can't go back and change yesterday, but we can change today. Here's what breaks my heart oftentimes for Christians. A lot of times I hear people say, you know what? I, I, I've gone to church. I got baptized. I even went to a church camp or a youth event. But now my life's all messed up. And where's God? Why did this have to happen? Why did this go this way? Why did this? And people get really frustrated with God. And, and it breaks my heart that the very God who invited them to become like him never left them. But they begin to look back at the moments that they didn't respond or they didn't mature or they didn't engage in the invitation of Jesus to fully walk forward. And now they find themselves mad at, at Jesus. I think sometimes really what we're talking about in the American church of what we want from God and what we want from Jesus is we want a genie. We want to rub the lamp. We want to make our three wishes when it's tough. And we want to hope that Jesus is going to respond the way we want whenever we ask. I can tell you 
And I know that to be true because that's it's even the way I function sometimes in my faith. But through COVID, through crisis, through maturing, through being obedient, there has been a greater proximity and purpose in my walk with God. And I, I know God wants that for all of us. So if you begin to look at your relationship with God and where you might be in those circles, maybe it's about starting a prayer life. Maybe it's about a daily devotional. Maybe it is about learning to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. But whatever God is inviting you to, I can promise you that he's asking you with the intention to become more like him. And think about it this way grabbed the emblems, Jesus looked at his disciples and the night before he was betrayed, he took this bread and he said, this is my body, broken for you, take and eat. Little did they know in the days to come that that broken body that he was referring to would be beaten and hung to a cross. In the same way, he took the wine said, this is my blood poured out for you, take and drink. This is a new covenant. It's a commitment that I'm making to you. It's an invitation for you to belong. But it's up to you to become. To say yes in obedience. To daily surrender your life. To allow the power of God's word and God's spirit to challenge you to grow and become. You got to wonder, those 12 that walked with him and heard him say, eat my flesh and drink my blood sat in that moment when they celebrated Passover and ate the bread and drank the juice. And when they stood at the cross and saw his death and then afterwards experienced his resurrection from the dead and life everlasting, if these emblems maybe catalyzed something in them that was dormant. They inspired them to walk closer. I want to encourage you today to make today a decision of moving forward. I want to encourage you to take the app. Maybe you have something that you want us to pray about. Maybe you have something that you need to walk through in your faith. If you open your app, you can actually use the connect card in there and it will go directly to us and we'll follow up. Maybe there's a next step of faith that you want to take. Maybe there's something you want to learn about your personal walk with God. But I also want to encourage you to use that app to respond through giving. I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing like a crisis of COVID to take the security of what we experience in this building and in this church and bring you to your knees to say, God, do something. God has been faithful through his people. And we've been able to serve our community We've been able to care for the ministry that we have. We've been able to advance forward with serving and going above and beyond what we had already committed to 2020. And it's because many of you chose well before today to commit to give every month. And in the crisis of our time, we actually had confidence because of the obedience of God's followers. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe that's the next step for you 
is to cross the line from connecting with us to contributing to God's mission and God's purpose. Each of us have a next step of faith. Maybe it starts today. Maybe it starts next week. But as we belong in this mission together, it will be our intention for every one of us to become more like Jesus in 2021. Let's stand. Let's respond.